The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Happy Easter to all of you. What a great joy it is to celebrate uh, this Easter day with all of you. And I'm reminded of the celebration we had last night, which was the great vigil of Easter. And what made that so very special was the fact that we had six baptisms, one infant and five children. And it was a wonderful, joyous time. And the joy of that celebration seems to be spilling over into the joy of the 8 o'clock service and now this wonderful service at 10. 
It is truly a joy to be with you this morning. It's also great to hear the voice of the children in the parish this morning. Usually they're downstairs in the church school, so we don't get the benefit of that. I was talking with someone yesterday, and they mentioned that they had seen the Vatican's observance of the Great Vigil on television, and they said that they were all so somber, so serious. Well, sometimes our liturgical expressions seem to be that way. And I think if you went to any Anglican cathedral or Episcopal cathedral anywhere in the world, you would find it perhaps equally solemn and serious. We sometimes take ourselves too seriously. But children help us with that. And I have an example. In this very church, there was a child who once left the communion rail and on the way back was just overcome with the possibility of doing a cartwheel down the side aisle. And in fact, they did. <laughs> and it seems to me that that might be the appropriate expression after having received communion. You just want to do cartwheels. There's a story about a Sunday school teacher who had just finished her uh, talking with her third grade class about the passion. And she had talked with them about Jesus dying on the cross and him coming down from the cross and putting him in the tomb and the big stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. No one could get in and no one could get out. And then she wanted to build the excitement about the resurrection. And so she asked the question, what do you suppose was the first thing that Jesus said when he came out of the tomb? There was a little girl in the circle. She raised her hand. I know, I know. <laughs> the teacher called on her. And in wonderful exuberance, she yelled out, Ta-da! <laughs> Ta-da! Happy Easter. <laughs> the gospel writers talk to us about the resurrection. All four of them have an account. And each one of them is slightly different. Now that can be troubling to those of us who might like everything to fit perfectly into place and to make sense out of all of this so that it, it all sounds like it is, a, it is a, a recounting of a historical act and it's all very factual. But, in fact, the Gospel writers each had their own mission in terms of how they described the life of Jesus. And a part of that was to shape that story of Jesus' passion and his resurrection in such a way that it fit with the life of Jesus that they were trying to show the people. So we should not be disturbed when we find in reading that we, we see different expressions of how the resurrection occurred. I find that encouraging because I know that in the world today there are many different understandings of the resurrection. And I'm sure that if we were to talk here among ourselves, we would find that we each have a slightly different understanding of all of that. So I find that very encouraging. But what I want to focus on this morning is the Gospel of John, and particularly what looks like to me to be the story that is really Mary Magdalene's story about the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, one of the disciples, and certainly very close to Jesus. She had gone to the tomb early in the morning. It was still dark. And one can imagine that she had spent the Sabbath day in great pain for the loss of Jesus. And she had gone there not believing that she would find him resurrected. 
because, like the other disciples, she believed it was over. It had ended. Nothing more was going to come of this. This great mission that they had been on had ended with the death of their master, of their leader, of their teacher, of their friend. She went there to mourn. And when she got there, she was shocked to find that even worse than the fact that he had died, now it appeared that his body had been stolen. In the time of Jesus, that was a common thing. There was a great problem with grave, uh, grave stealers. And they would take the bodies and they'd take the wrappings and sell them because many of the wrappings were very expensive. So she was mortified, one can imagine, by seeing that the tomb was empty. Someone had taken Jesus away. So she runs back and tells the other disciples. And then it says that Peter and the beloved disciple run to the tomb. Now, one of the things that I think makes John's uh, portrayal of all of this very real and somehow uh, more real than in some ways the others is that he talks about this foot race that occurs between Peter and the, and the beloved disciple. And it says the beloved disciple got there first, but out of deference to Peter, he looks in, but he doesn't go into the tomb. Peter arrives, goes into the tomb and sees that it is indeed empty. And then the beloved disciple goes in. And it says that he believed. Now, it also says immediately after that that they had not yet understood the scriptures that said that he must rise after three days. So what he believed, perhaps, was that indeed Jesus' body had been removed. They go back home, it says, go back to the other disciples. But Mary stays. One can imagine the depth of her grief. She goes into the tomb, and there she sees two angels. Now, some would say that this might be a, a good gospel warrant for the possibility that angels are male. Because the question they ask is, woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> the truth is, perhaps, that the angels knew there was no reason to be weeping. But rather, it was an opportunity for joy. But Mary, nonetheless, was in the depth of her grief. And she comes out of the tomb, and there she sees someone she thinks is the gardener. And she pleads with him for the body, thinking that perhaps he had taken it. And then something amazing happens. This supposed gardener says, Mary. And in that moment, she knew it was Jesus. And in that moment, she was transformed. She became a different person. She knew that something, something beyond anything she could imagine had happened. It was Jesus. And Jesus says to her, go and tell my brothers, and certainly my sisters as well, because there must have been women disciples with Jesus more than just Mary Magdalene. And she does. She runs back to them. And she says, I have seen the Lord. Well, the story of Mary Magdalene's encounter with the resurrected Lord is really pretty easy, I think, for us to take in, except for that one part that has to do with the resurrection itself. We can understand the possibility of someone being in that kind of grief. Many of you, I'm sure, have experienced the kind of grief that Mary had, that 
that darkness that comes over one that just seems to be impossible to escape. She knew that grief. And one can also imagine the frustration, the anger, perhaps, the, 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 the confusion that must have come from the reality of Jesus' death. And we know by the actions of the disciples, having run off essentially in fear and come together really wondering what they would do, that they had no belief in the possibility that Jesus would be raised from the dead. The part that's so hard for us to understand is the part about the resurrection. And I think part of the reason for that is we try to get to it with our rational mind. We try to understand it. We try to figure it out. We could argue about the validity of the texts, about the, uh, the historicity of the events. And I could tell you what I believe, but none of that would make a lot of difference, I think, in the end. As I think about how we might find ourselves in this story of the resurrection, I think we might place ourselves with the disciples. The disciples were gathered together, wondering and in fear. And what it took was a messenger. It took someone coming to them and saying, I have seen the Lord. I believe ultimately we only come to a belief in the possibility of the resurrection in reality for Jesus and in our lives when we encounter that reality in the life of another person. And we find that in the community of the faithful, for sure. As a priest, I have the privilege of being with people at the, the best and most joyous times in their lives. And I also have the privilege of being with them when they encounter the most difficult parts of their life, even the possibility of death. And there have been many, many, many times that I have been with people in the depths of grief and in the depths of depression over the possibilities that were going to be their health. And in those moments, my faith has been strengthened by the faith I have encountered in the other. In a way, Christ has been present to me in the lives of others, even in those great moments of darkness. I believe that we all need a messenger. We all need the one who comes to us, the one who reflects the living Christ, the one who has risen. I believe we all need to encounter Christ in another person. And in that encounter, we encounter the resurrected Lord. So this morning, I think we should give thanks for those that you know in your life who have been those messengers. But I think perhaps an even more important question is for us to ask, who is it that I am to be a messenger to? To whom should I go? How should my life, my everyday life, be lived so that it might be a reflection of the risen one? On this beautiful, joyous Easter morning, may God give us the grace to be like Mary Magdalene, to be able to go out and to encounter those around us and say with our lives, I have seen the Lord. Amen. Amen.